Welcome to CFOs in Motion, presented by CFO Intelligence with your host, Andrew Zizis. Dynamic and direct one-on-one interviews with CFOs and executives from enterprise and middle market companies. And now, here's your host, Andrew Zizis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to CFOs in Motion where we bring you interviews with accomplished and insightful CFOs at middle market and enterprise companies. I'm your host, Andrew Zizas, and it's great to be with you today. Today we have with us Bob Arnold, CFO. Bob has over 40 years of experience in successfully driving financial and operational performance in high growth companies. Bob served as CFO Vice President Finance or Controller for organizations ranging from startups to multi-billion dollar organizations in life sciences, pharmaceuticals, manufacturing, professional services, high-tech, and equipment leasing and financing industries. Bob's previous successes include having served as Vice President Finance for Equestive Therapeutics, Inc. In that role, Bob provided leadership that enabled AQST to develop from a startup to a fully integrated NASDAQ-listed specialty pharmaceutical company. Bob also led the finance function at HP Financial Services North America from a startup within Compaq Computer to a multi-billion dollar organization. Bob holds a BS in accounting from Montclair State University and a Master of Science degree in taxation from Seton Hall University. Bob, welcome and thanks for joining me on CFOs in Motion. It's really great to have you here today. Well, Andy, I'm, I'm overjoyed to be here. It's, this is a great opportunity and uh, I'm look, really looking forward to getting started. Great, great, great. So we've got an interesting conversation today. We're talking about liquidity, growth, and the long view. So, Bob, let, let's jump right in. in. In your role as Vice President of Finance at Equestive Therapeutics, the company went from a startup to a public company listing on the NASDAQ in 2018. What were the greatest challenges in growing from one extreme to another? Well, Andy, I will tell you, it was a very, very long journey with many twists and turns and challenges. Uh, it wasn't a straight line, nor was it quick. It lasted from 2007 to ultimately listing on the NASDAQ in 2018. And let me, you know, to really just start, you got to go back to 2007. We were actually going through an IPO process at, the, at that point. Uh, the market conditions um, made sense at that point. You know, we were looking to raise capital for product development, uh, build out our infrastructure and, and facilities. So all those things to make us a fully integrated uh, pharmaceutical company. We actually cleared our SEC comments and we had a roadshow ready to go, planned, packed, bags packed, ready to go. But in October of 2007, the market just imploded. I don't know if everybody can remember, you know, back then, uh, we had a, we delayed the offering and ultimately withdrew it. But at the same time, all equity markets, both cap, both private and public, dried up. And what did exist? was extremely expensive or highly uh, dilutive to our owners. So we had to scramble for funding. You know, we had a business that was growing, business had a lot of potential, we had to scramble for, for funding. Uh, our investors gave us a temporary bridge loan that, that helped us um, gain some traction here, but we had to downsize the company. We were expecting to get a significant amount of money in, we had to downsize the company, scale back our growth plans, um, and that, fortunately, we were able to find some financing in April of that year. So October all the way, fast forward to April, we found some venture financing. 
cash was getting very low at that time. So it was a extremely, um, you know, nervous point at that point for the company. Also, later that year, we were able to raise some additional equity from our investors, and they converted that bridge loan to um, equity. So two big things that helped us get off the dime from when, you know, didn't f- and he come anywhere near to funding what we were expect, but gave us that initial capital to keep on moving the business. We also, and again, I'm going to take you through a chronology because a lot of these things tell you about the challenges that we we had to had to go through and ultimately get public. We reworked every contract at that point. You know, we and with, with an eye to not, not giving up anything, but still maximizing cash and. Uh, believe it or not, most of our customers and partners, as we like to call them, were very amenable to, to doing that. So that was an important thing. And then we focused on, we had two products that we had out licensed. We focused on getting them to approval along with our partner because they were generating cash for us from approval milestones and development and approval milestones. And then ultimately when that pro- those products were approved into 2010, it gave us ongoing cash flow from royalties and manufacturing. And at that point, provided a runway to make our manufacturing operations and plant profitable, which in a growth pharmaceutical company, you generally don't see that with revenue coming in and still developing products at the same time. It's generally not something you see. We also took an eye to, while we continue to fund the company, we didn't, we funded operations without any material equity infusions at that point. So we, we, we kept, we, we didn't dilute our uh, investors. And in 2013, we came to, an, I think, a very important inflection point in the business. We made a strategic uh, decision, you know, with board approval to change our direction. And, that, and what, what I mean by that is we were looking at one product at a time, co-developing that product with a partner, we went and made a decision to develop a pipeline of proprietary products that we could ultimately take all the way to commercialization ourselves rather than having to partner with someone else. So what that did, rather than just looking at products that raise cash, that was going to create the long-term value that you needed to ultimately go public. You know, also in that time, we were able to finance our you know, increase our facility, venture debt facility, we went almost threefold, 12 and a half million to 37 and a half million. That also helped to fund fund the business. Another important point in 2015, and again, this gave us credibility in the markets uh, or gave an indication to the markets. In 2015, we refinanced that venture debt with a life size established known life science lender, which gave us credibility that, hey, this company is doomed doing what they say they're doing. They have some good prospects and we're, we're able to lend them $50 million, which is an important point. By 2017, we reached a point that um, ready to begin the process. You know, we had our products were following up enough along in the pipeline, um, but that was a lot of planning involved, a lot of things to do. Uh, we changed our name, we changed our tax structure. We had a whole comp plan that would suited us from a private company standpoint. It wasn't ideal for a public company. We had to change that out. Uh, a lot of service providers to uh, to bring on, you know, as a public company. And one of the and the S one process, which is en- as anyone 
uh, that has been through it is like getting a dental cleaning every few weeks from the SEC. So, um, you know, very interesting, a lot, uh, a lot of, a lot of things. But all that culminated in July of 2018. We went public, and it was while we didn't ring the bell that day. Um, we raised gross proceeds of $74 million. Um, and we were able to go in and actually see the first trade happen, which was very, very, very interesting and very cool. And then about a month later, we were going to do what every public company, initial public company does, is we rang the bell, which was also a, a very, very neat thing to do and to see how all that works. But, you know, so that gives you an idea of what we went through. And that, that was over an 11-year period to get there. A lot of things that had to happen just so to to get us where we need. If some things didn't happen, I might not be here talking to you about this particular subject today. But, but they did. And a lot of hard work went into that from a very, very dedicated team of people. And in post-offering, you know, the, you know, I, I had non-finance friends called me up and said, oh, what are you doing? Feet up on the desk, doing nothing. You know, my, my, you know, my life really changed. And I was busy before. I'm just as busy, maybe even more so now. You know, you have additional regulatory issues, filing requirements, you know, any, everything you do was under a public specter, public scrutiny. And, but on the, on the positive side, it opened up the additional capital markets to us that we didn't have before. So we were able to do a file follow on offering. We were able to do a shelf registration and an and ATM. We were able to refinance that life science debt into a hundred million dollar facility. Um, and we also able to do a very significant royalty monetization. All those things, you know, got us to, to where we are. So, you know, a lot of challenges, you know, one stream, one extreme to another, you're, you're, not, I wouldn't say flying by the seat of your pants, but you're doing a lot of things that you needed to get done. And, is, and you, you know, you're, you're, you're growing and then you get to a public company where you have to be a lot more uh, buttoned down and, and straightforward. So uh, a lot of things took a while, but, you know, it was it was certainly worth the, the experience to go through it. Well, I mean, what an experience and and what a path you followed. And you, you started off your conversation today by saying there's a story and it, it that was an exciting story and, <laughs> and obviously a great one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, what, what have I heard that uh, luck is the intersection of, you know, planning and expertise or planning and strategy. Um, and it sounds like you guys were both lucky and expert in, you know, what you chose to do. So kudos to all of you. And and you're right. It was about growth. Your, your, your intro was about growth and it was a long view. And, you know, I, I've always viewed you as being a strategist, but in particular, a growth strategist. And, and in your intro, you talked about a bunch of different types of funding that you went through along the path. Talk to me about, you know, when taking the long view and looking to achieve growth, what are some of the optimal funding approaches that a growth company can take? I think Andy, when I when I look at this, I don't know that there's any one way to fund a company. You know, it's gonna, you know, facts, circumstances. You know, um, who's in who's investing, who's doing things could could give you a direction and where you want to go. But if a few questions, I think any growth company should be asking themselves is when they consider raising capital or need needs for capital is when will you need the capital? So create a long term view and timelines. You know when you need to you know, access that capital. Uh, 
So, you know, when do you need to get to the net in, in a pharma lifestyle, you know, uh, environment? It's it's um, when you're going to get to the next milestone. When do you need, you know, for clinical trials? When are those things going to be? You know, what is your appetite, you know, be, for investors? Because different types of providers, be it debt or equity, have different requirements and different um, ways of handling you or not. And you have to be uh, ready for that. Uh, and, you know, really understand how the money's going to be spent because people are going to ask you that. And they're going to want to know where you're going to use the money, how are you using it, and how effective are you at the money I'm giving you is going to be. You know, I would like to think we took a very conservative approach to funding. While we principally used that, we expanded those facilities as needed. But at the same time, we all, because we, had a very good relationship with all our lenders. Uh, we were able to reduce our interest rate. You know, think about, you know, when we took our first debt with the venture uh, lender in 2018. You know, not a lot of options. You know, that was in the low 20s. You know, over time, we reduced that to the low teens, but at the same time expanding. So, you know, that, that tells you, you, one, you have to provide a clear path to your lenders or financing, and then execute and do what you tell them you're going to do and, and constantly communicate with them if there is a hiccup, because the, invariably there will be. Um, we, you know, as I said before, we we funded the operations mainly through, you know, uh, debt and and the, the operations, but, and so we minimized any additional uh, equity and, and dilution to, and one of the things that, you know, not every company can do, but we use uh, utilize our internal cash flow for manufacturing operations. That was a godsend because it enabled, you know, the business to fund a, a good portion of some of the, because uh, developing products in pharma takes a lot of money, takes a lot of time. And one of the things that, you know, we did also, and this was early on, is we had a number of customers that, needed our facilities for things they were doing. We got them to fund the facility. Um, that, that, that's the basis for where we manufacture everything today. So, you know, it was, it was, it was a great win-win for them. They got their product faster. We got a state-of-the-art production facility that was essentially financed uh, and paid for by, by a vendor. And then, and this goes for any company at any stage, but, you know, I think for, for funding, and I view this as a funding approach, is tight control over costs and expenses and investment. Know what you're spending, know how you're spending it, and set clear guidelines for people and make sure there's no leakage from that. So, so let's stay with the idea of growth companies and talk to me about cash management. You know, you mentioned funding and liquidity, but, but specifically talk to me about cash management. What, how should growth companies be focused on cash management? The first thing is, it, you know, and it may seem very basic and simplistic, but you'd be surprised, you know, um, what may happen sometimes. I think you need to have a very robust cash forecast. And and, and that and depending on how, and, and going out a reasonable period of time, I don't mean 13 weeks, I mean longer than that, because that's going to help you uh, see or provide an early warning signal to when you might, you may have a liquidity issue. And another point, important Part of that is don't assume profits equal cash, especially in the short term. You know, if you say, well, I have EBIT positive EBITDA, you know, but but your terms from your customers are much longer 
than the terms from your vendors. So that might be profitable and it creates a mismatch. So you really need to keep, keep that in mind and don't assume profits, especially in the short term, translates into a cash because otherwise you could create a liquidity situation. I think you also take a holistic view and you educate the company so that each, everyone understands that what they do impacts cash, you know, be it, you know, and, and you would think, oh, I'm doing my business, leave, leave me alone. No, what you do impacts cash, impacts our ability to, to do other things. So I think rather than have everyone this view work in their silo, have, have them understand how things, and it, it just gets when you're dealing with a management team, leadership team, it can, and it can, it can filter down, but def, definitely you have to start there. Uh, also, you know, optimizing your working capital, and you, there's a cash conversion cycle, be it managing receivables and payables. You know, I talked about control previously about, you know, managing, you know, your costs and expenses. You know, where's your overhead? Where are your operating expenses? You know, keeping a tight control on them can, can certainly manage your, your cash flow. And then depending on the business you're in, a, a component of working capital can be your inventory. If you're manufacturing retail, that the lead times there can be, be long. And, you know, so learning how to manage that. And then if you're in a service business, compensation, that's probably your largest uh, expense, but learning how that, that works and how that works into your cash conversion cycle. And one thing, and it's not always easy to do this next thing, but I can't minimize it, is create some dry powder for a rainy day. I know it, it, sometimes it's not possible, but, you know, a rainy day can be, you know, uh, customers late on a payment. Uh, you lost a, a major customer. You know, you, you'll need that dry powder. Or, on a positive note, for opportunistic situations, something that, um, you know, you want to invest in something. You, you have an opportunity uh, to invest in something if you don't have that dry powder, it's difficult to do that. And then if you have a credit facility, make sure you can utilize it when you need it and you have that flexibility and it gets back to what I talked about before about relationships with, with your lenders. Bob, given all that, how should, talking about risk, how, how should CFOs guide their CEOs, their boards, depending upon the size of the company, um, as it relates to managing liquidity risk specifically? Um, you know, uh, for me, you know, and I, I view this, you know, again, I'm a simple guy, so I view things simplistically. Cash is king. If you don't have cash, you're, you're, you're out of business. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, that, that would seem, you know, everyone understands that. Well, not really. Um, and I think you need to educate everyone on what are, what are the sources of liquidity risk where do things come from not ever you might not have all these existing in your company but you, if they're not educated to them they're not going to be aware of them it's the cfo's job and the finance team's job to make sure everyone understands that and keep it top of mind but you know you make sure you you know one of the liquidity risk and i talked about this before is a cash flow ma management Cash, lack of cash flow management. And what I mean by that is you're not forecasting either properly at the current level of detail or within the proper time frames, or you don't have the correct assumptions that that, that in itself can create a huge liquidity risk. You know, you would think that's simplistic, but you know, uh, it's, 
inability to obtain financing, be it debt or equity. You know, that, you know markets could be dried up, you know, difficult, or you, you don't have the financials yet because banks want you to be perfect before they lend to you. Um, unexpected economic disruptions. You know, did any of us think the uh, pandemic was going to hit? You know, plan that into their assumptions, you know, because if you do, I'm taking you to Atlantic City next week. Um, and then also, um, you know, in supply chain, you know, you know, think about how that's disrupted people's businesses, you know, in terms of able, you know, for the construction industry, trying to get uh, materials just to finish your job. And another area, while it's, it's, it's a positive and it supports growth for the business, this capital expenditures, you know, you think about it, it you know, let, let's say in pharmaceuticals, you're building out a plant, you're building out a lab that costs a lot of money. You might not see that, you know, your cash outlay is up front or, or you know, clear, but your benefit is, is well, you know, in excess. So that can create liquidity risk. And then debt repayment, you know, you, you're going to have to, you know, you can have debt and that's great, but it's something you're going to have to service it. And that's, you know, generally, you know, monthly or quarterly. And, you, you know, you need to do that. Otherwise, you're defaulting on your 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 uh, borrowing or, you know, you have to repay it at some point or be able to refinance it. So if you're not positioned to do that, what is that going to do? You're going to have, you know, big bullet payment of uh, from a loan that's due at some point. So you need to be um, on top of that and make sure everyone's aware of that and what that means. And that's a profit crisis, you know, and that could be anything from your uh, major customer uh, having some hiccups, uh, you know, th things like that, which can create, you know, they, they sneeze and you catch a cold. So, you know, it's, 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 it's those, those type things. So, you know, and simple choices, you know, I, I talked about everyone understanding what needs to be, uh, needs to be understood in terms of, you know, liquidity and cash and how all the pieces fit together. So, you know, you have sales negotiating a contract and they might have different terms that are, that are, you know, um, longer than you're, you're comfortable with, or have a mismatch to your uh, payments for either uh, compensation or vendors associated with a particular project. So making sure everybody understands what those risks are and goes in with that knowledge, as opposed to coming back and saying, well, why are you at, at uh, 60 days, you should be at 30 days. So um, it's important to make sure everybody understands what they need to do. Um, overall, if you were in a room with a group of up and coming, no, not up and coming CFOs, CFOs are companies that were, that were uh, taking on roles as growth companies, what would be your overall guidance to those CFOs? Well, as I said at the outset, you know, your path is not going to be straightforward, straight line. It's not going to be quick in some cases. And, but don't let it phase you. That's the nature of, of what, of, of what you've you're doing that that it, if you're in that type of environment you have to understand there's going to be uh ups and downs and you know and so forth but you know you've heard the saying hope for the best but plan for the worst you know that's what you need to do you need to have a plan well you know in the pharmaceutical industry for instance you have the timing and cost of you of of tribe human trials you know, they can be delayed. You can have additional trials that are needed. They can cost more than you think about. You need to be prepared 
for that. So when it does happen, you know, monitor it, make sure it, you know, try to keep a fence around it so it doesn't happen. But there are going to be things outside of your control. And then you add on top of that the fact that you have an FDA review and approval process that can be sometimes opaque to the rest of the world uh, in terms of when things go. And so you need to understand that there's going to, you need to be prepared for what might occur and, 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 and don't let it surprise you because, you know, in, in, in some cases that, that that's half the fun in what you're doing. Would you offer any different advice if you were in that room meeting with a group of privately private company CEOs? No, I would, I would tell them the same thing. Be prepared and don't let it phase you. Yeah. And, and, and you need to understand that there's going to be, be things that, that don't, you know, well, we might have the greatest idea, the greatest technology. Um, we, we, we need, we need to be, be aware that it, it, things might take longer and then, than needed. Now you mentioned the pandemic a few moments ago. Were there any particular lessons you learned uh, relative to growth and the long view? Yeah, I, I would say first one is when it all all hit in March of 20, you know, everything everywhere closed. You know, we went from everybody essentially being 100% in the office to no one in the office. You know, at first, you know, I was very concerned you know, how do we close the books? We have to report as a public company. We never did this. You know, we're all sitting, you know, in an office. We're all sitting next to us. But one of the things I learned is, not learned, but it, it, it came out of this was we actually made ourselves more efficient. You know, we we looked at, and some of this was probably overdue and the pandemic, you know, uh, forced us to maybe address some things. We actually sat down, the whole finance team, and we streamlined and improved the closing process. We cut out things that we maybe needed, didn't need to do. We moved things up. We, we actually took about five days out of the process, which wasn't a long process to start with, but took about five days out of it. And it was a collaborative effort. You know, we communicated a lot. We, we, we did things a little differently than maybe when you were, you're sitting in an office next, next to it and made everybody connected to the process. Um, and this goes for everything. We we learned how to utilize tools better, you know, whether it be what you and I, what we're on today, Teams or Zoom. You know, we, they existed, but we we learned to use utilize them and optimize them better. Either you know meetings or sharing documents, and you know, think things that really made a lot of sense. But I will tell you, you know, our sales team, uh, we have a product called Sympazam at Equesta. And um, the sales team, you know, generally sold their product to healthcare providers by visiting the offices. So, you know, that that avenue was, um, you know, no longer available to our sales team. They found a way, utilizing some of the tools that I talked about and different ways of talking to people, different ways of approaching it, to keep that sales process going and app and keeping quarter over quarter growth. Um, sustained. So, you know, kudos to them for getting getting that done during that time period. And I think, you know, this, the company culture we had, that, that was some glue that hold, held things together. You know, there was a culture there before of collaboration. So, uh, before the company, before the pandemic. So, having to do more of it because you were remote and wasn't really 
an issue to anyone to, to get that done. And it was already ingrained in the business. So, Bob, finance is often unfairly accused of being, you know, closed off, ivory towerish. The CFO is the, you know, is in charge of the word no. And, you know, things that you and I both know aren't, aren't real and aren't true, but often come up in conversation. As it relates to finance's role, talk about how finance can be, can be beneficial in aligning the behavior of sales, operations, and other functional units within a company's, uh, within a company relative to, to um, taking a company in the direction of its business yeah. objectives. Yeah, I think, you know, that, that, that's, it's very important. I mean, and I, I think, you know, um, everyone needs to move in the same direction and with a shared purpose. Everyone has their own jobs, but they need to understand that everyone's dependent on someone else for uh, success. You know, using a football analogy, if the offensive line doesn't block, what happens to the best running back in the game? It doesn't go very far. So it's all integrated. But what finance needs to do, and this is how you, 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 know, you get away from this, you know, no type thing, um, you need to ensure all functions understand and have plans and resources in place to execute on their commitments. I think that's that's very important. And you frequently need to measure things and make sure how are we doing and if is there a course correction um, to do it. But do it collaboratively and do, do it as, as a group and not as, you know, dictating or uh, one-sided. And I think another area that I've found uh, is important and I think instructive for connecting like sales operations and, and everyone to an aligned behavior is compensation plans. You know, I, you know, we had a compensation plan at uh, HP Financial Services for our sales folks that aligned um, the behavior in terms of the whole continuum of, it, of it, a piece of equipment. So when you put a piece of equipment on lease. It had, you know, you had an initial term and then you were going to hope at the end to either release that or remarket it. And we found initially that they weren't sending any time on the back end, which sometimes those could be substantial investments. We changed the comp plan to align that behavior. So, you know, you had some skin in the game for, for the back end of the deal. It ended up being, you know, it, it, it ended up being more profitable for us because now everyone was aligned on the whole continuum of, of the business. In, in that vein, can finance actually be a catalyst to, to lead collaboration and, and drive overall success? Absolutely. I, I, I think that's imperative if the company's going to be successful and finance is going to be successful. I think the first thing is begins with finance meeting its commitments to the company you know, doing what we say we're going to do, you know, because then you establish trust. How can you ask someone else to make a commitment or do something if you're not, you're, you're not, you know, um, meeting your commitment? So that that's, that's very important. And I think, you know, I've always tried to make the business, you know, you know, take a broad view finance of the business, not your narrow view. Yes, we have some specific things we have to do, but, you know, the salespeople don't, you know, you make them aware of what they have to do. You make them, you give them, you know, parameters in which to do things. But, you know, work with them. Listen to your colleagues. What are their needs? What their needs are, you know, and how can you help them? I think if you if you have that type of 
uh, attitude and behavior, it's going to go a long way to making finance, you know, part of that collaboration. And, you know, build that to where you become a trusted advisor or a team of trusted advisors so that functions come to you for advice, counsel, and to solve problems. And you don't hear about it after it's already a problem. I think if you do those things and work towards that, you, you can make yourself finance very, very successful and part of these of the um, success of the company. Bob, you've had an interesting career. You've been with great companies. You've had a long career and, and you've accomplished a lot in and out of finance. But I, I know you've had a diverse career as well. Um, share with me some of the experiences you, that you've had that were outside of finance, but contributed to the successes that you were able to achieve in the companies you served. Right. I, you know, and I, and I would say, Andy, you know, I've, you know, I've been fortunate that most of the roles I've had, even within finance, have been very close to the business. But they're, you know, so making decisions, being involved in transactions and so forth. But there's been some roles, you know, why why I still was in the finance function that I that I had in in various companies. I mean, I, I would point to one to start off at HP Financial Services. I was co-chair uh, with the managing director at, at the time of the pricing and credit committees of the company. Um, so, you know, we were making strategic decisions on how to price our transactions, how to, to set policy, how to do all those things, which, you know, were very integrated in the business. And I was also the lead person for any special pricing. So if you were a salesperson, you had a deal that was outside the parameters, you would come to me and we work to, to, to get a solution. So that was, I, I, I thought, a interesting role, not necessarily something you see all CFOs, VP finance people doing. And at the same time, I was helping and involved in multi-million dollar decisions to drive the business forward. Uh, another another, an, another uh, area that I, I, I was responsible for and was working on at, at HP was, and this was a transitional period, they, they needed some leadership. Um, and I assumed P&L and leadership responsibility for what's called life cycle management. The people who were responsible to work with the salespeople for mid-end of lease activity. You know, there was hundreds of millions of dollars of exposure as, as equipment came off lease. Um, we initially went in there, we were able to provide returns that were over um, our residual investment and, and, and certainly, you know, provided profit. But also, we built it, operational infrastructure and linkages to the sales team from a company, because this was at the early stages of the, this particular uh, environment. So, you know, not something you generally see your, your finance leader going in and doing. But I, I, I went in, did it. I think it was, was something that, that stays with me today as to how you have to, to deal with, with, with people and um, bring in the holistic view to the company. And then I, I've always had sales compensation under me, but it was, it's, I never viewed it as just, you know, here's what people earned and here's, here's what we're going to pay you and when we're going to pay you. I view it, it, and it goes back to a question you had before about aligning behavior and always setting up comp plans that align behavior. What are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? 
and you, you generate a plan that does that. That compensates the, the sales team for that, but at the same time gets the business what they need. And, and it, is, it, it doesn't always work that way in a lot of companies, but that's what I've always tried to do. So those are things, some roles that have been outside of finance or tangential to finance, but you know, had a more of a business flavor, was not a command and control type thing, was actually making the, the, the decisions. Bob, I've got time for one more question. I, I know that, like me, you are of the mindset that those of us who have succeeded and have had good careers, for those of us who've, who find ourselves in that position, it's incumbent upon us to uh, provide guidance and the benefit of our experience to those who will come after us. What advice would you give to CFOs who are, uh, career advice in particular, who are you know, starting out, first CFO role, looking forward to the future of their career? Yeah, I, I, and I, I would take, I, be, I even go a little bit back before they get that. It, you know, it's, you know, anyone that's going down this path and aspires to be a CFO or CFO type role is, you know, first thing you got to do is build a strong foundation, you know, you know, build that, retain knowledge, you know, again, some of this is, again, some of your basic blocking and tackling. You know, I always seem to go back to my football roots, but basic blocking and tackling. Listen, learn, ask questions. I don't care what stage of your your um, career you're in. If you're able to do those effectively, you're going to be good at what you do, along with retaining knowledge. And learn to be a teacher, especially when you're a CFO or coming becoming a CFO teach people, share knowledge, give them your learnings, because that'll enable, that'll help you build a strong team. You know, a, you know, no one does this alone. You know, um, uh, it's always, you know, I always like to say it's a team. It's, it's, it's a we, it's, you know, it's never, you know, alone that you, that you do this. And, you know, for a CFO, if you build a strong team and you have a, I'll give you an example, a strong controller, that person is worth their weight in gold to you because they're going to, they're going to give you the flexibility to do a lot of strategic things that you want. So building a strong team and believe it or not, you know, you, especially when you're a CFO and, you know, you need to be able to sell yourself. So now you become an influencer. You need to build relationships. You need to justify decisions and position to not only, you know, you know, your auditors, but to, the investing world, you know, if you're a public company, to your board, to the company as a whole. And again, going back to that factor, I took be, create trust. So become a trusted advisor. Well, and, and 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 Bob, I've heard you say before that as a CFO at a privately held company, some of the people you should be teaching and influencing are the very people you work for, the CEO and the owner of private companies. I mean, I mean, I, I think you've been spot on when you've made that comment in the past. I couldn't agree more, Andy. And I think it, it just makes everyone's life a lot easier if we all understand what we need to do. And we all, we, we all work together to get it done. Well, Bob, this has been great. I want to thank you very much for uh, appearing with us today on CFOs in Motion. And and Andy, uh, likewise, this has been great. I've I've enjoyed getting ready for this. I've enjoyed the conversation as always with with you. And uh, I want to thank you for giving me this opportunity again. Well, I, I I'm glad you're with us. I thank you very much. I hope you'll come see us again, um, ladies and gentlemen. 
Thank you very much for joining Bob Arnold, CFO, and me today. I'm Andrew Zizas, your host for CFO Intelligence and CFOs in Motion. We'll see you next time on CFOs in Motion. Thanks for joining us on CFOs in Motion, presented by CFO Intelligence with your host, Andrew Zizas. If you have an interesting topic that you'd like us to discuss here on CFOs in Motion, or if you've got a great CFO topic that you're passionate about and would like to be interviewed on this podcast series or published in CFO Intelligence Magazine, visit cfointel.com. That's C-F-O-I-N-T-E-L-L.com. Remember to subscribe to this podcast series on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. This has been CFOs in Motion, presented by CFO Intelligence with your host, Andrew Zizis. We'll see you next time. The opinions and views presented on this podcast by Andrew Zizis are his own and may not be relied upon as fact. The opinions and views of others who appear on this show are their own as well and may not be relied upon as fact or for any other purpose. Opinions and views and other information are provided for general information and educational purposes only.